That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices. Michelle Ubel is the owner and founder of Iwa Spa in Blue Mountain Village. The CEO, or as she jokingly says, Chief Everything Officer, hails from Troon on the west coast of Scotland. Prior to her time in Blue Mountain, Michelle spent 15 years as an executive leader at a marketing agency in Toronto, leading the client services team of over 200 people. Starting in 2015, Michelle left the city and agency life to launch Iwa Spa and a new career with a few key goals in mind. Creating a compelling brand that's in the name of Iwa, inspiring wellness always, delivering an amazing customer experience, and building a business focused on wellness, a topic that she and many of us in our community are very passionate about. In September 2017, she experienced a dramatic change in her own wellness with a cancer diagnosis that she will share. And as she says, cancer has been her greatest teacher. Michelle has been committed to giving back to the community and supporting charities that are near and dear to her heart through some very engaging events and experiences. We're lucky to have her here with us today and indeed as part of our community. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. Hello, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Andrew. It's uh, great to participate in this. One of the things that we ask as part of this podcast is I always like to get a bit of an understanding of where people started in their career. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your career path and, and what led you to marketing as a profession. First of all, my career path was never one of those that I intentionally set out to create. I always kind of went with the flow and really started off my career that came from a passion with technology. I had started by studying engineering at university and then switched to marketing to extremes, really, from a career perspective. And then career-wise started right on. And I actually, interesting, I've used that right brain, left brain thing throughout my career, but really started off in a sales environment with IBM, Canon, and then Xerox, and then moved to the agency side as opposed to the client side and really focused my skills in sales on managing the client experience within the agency and used my marketing skills to really help drive strategy and execution on behalf of our clients within the agency. So I loved it. I loved that combination. Absolutely. And talk about exciting sectors to work in. And technology does cut across so many different industries. It's been quite a journey in that field for the last few decades. Tell me, you know, looking back, how has, you know, marketing and sales evolved over that time? What what are the the evolutions that, that really stand out for you? Oh my goodness, Andrew, that's a topic we could spend <laughs> a long time on. But certainly, I think we'd all say that the, the shift in consumer control really fueled by social media and the access that we as marketeers now have to data, those two events, that consumer control and data has changed so much of how we approach marketing differently today. So a massive evolution over time, one that I find I continue to be inspired by and find it really compelling. And in a way, it's almost like two opposites, because on the one hand, the consumer is in more control, is really driving the bus. But on the other hand, as businesses and marketers, we have more information and data that we can use than ever before. So in a way, that provides us a level of planning and control as well. It is a unique dynamic for sure. How, how do you think that applies to a, a smaller business? From a small business perspective, I, you know, a lot of it really comes down to what is that experience that you're creating and how do you continue to change and adapt? And a, a small thing for us that we, we take that concept of data, we really listen to the voice of our guests. So after 
every spa experience, our guests are sent a survey to ask them about the experience here at EWOP. We, as a small management team, every week we review that data and we aren't afraid of finding what I call those pieces of gold. So those little gold nuggets are perhaps the not so positive feedback because there's always amazing things to learn from that. And listening to our customers and the voice of the customer and being able to adapt to it is certainly something that we can do as a, you know, as a small business adaptability for us, we're incredibly nimble and listening to that voice of customer as we sit down every week and review our customer sat, which is incredible, by the way, where we track extremely high on satisfaction, which I'm super proud of. We post the results of it. We share the results with the team. And when we do get something that needs attention, we do personalized follow-up with our guests to understand. We can learn from that. We mine that and we look at how we adapt and change. What a great concept and a good example of how any kind of business can take that concept of assessing data kind of leaning into it, not just putting it aside and actually making change from it. So that's, yeah, it's such a great example. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the sort of meat and potatoes of, of running a business and some of the unique challenges. But I want, to, I want to ask you a little bit about what led you and your family to move to the South Georgian Bay area and, and start your business. And, you know, sort of leaving that dynamic Toronto marketplace for this environment. What led to that? It, it is an incredible place to live. And I feel grateful every day for living in such a wonderful place. My, at the time, we had a ski chalet in just at the base of the north side of Blue. And we were coming up every weekend since my daughter uh, was three years old. My daughter, Celeste, just graduated from CCI last year and is in her first year of university. So this takes us back. 15 years ago, we were coming up every weekend to ski and we loved it up here. We loved the lifestyle as a family. And we found that while we started in the winter, we slowly began to come and spend every weekend up here. And then the weekends expanded from a Saturday night stayover to Friday, Saturday, Sunday night stayover. <laughs> and we kept expanding the size of those weekend stays. And then at the point when every Monday morning we were driving back to the city and going, oh, I wish we could stay, we decided that it was time as a family to look at making a change and making a move up here. So we picked the year when our son was going into grade eight because we thought that was a good transitional year. If, if for some reason it didn't work out, we had the opportunity to go back to the city for his grade nine when he starts high school. And as a family, we set that expectation. We said, hey, we love it up here. Let's give it a year. Let's try it. See how it goes. My work at the time was super adaptable with me and allowed me to have more flexibility in working from home, which back then was a new concept. Now, of course, it's how we've learned to operate. But back then, we were willing to be trailblazers and say, can you have an executive leader with less time in the office and more time virtually? So after, after the first three months of the kids being enrolled in grade five and grade eight up here, we had a family meeting to say, how's it going? And unanimously, the kids said, we're not moving back to the city. <laughs> yeah, it was a really fun conversation. I remember it clearly. And I, I said to the kids, like, so like, why would you say that? You know, what would fuel that de decision for you to determine that you want to stay here? And my son at the time said, mom, it's just so quiet and so dark at night. And I can cycle to school. <laughs> there, what, what more do you need? As a kid, that was their decision. The fact that they could safely cycle to school. And you can imagine that feeling of independence at grade eight to be able to cycle to school. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
And it's funny. We don't, we all in our culture, I don't know that we have placed enough importance on, especially for children, that ability to have that independence to do things like that, what it means for your responsibility level, what it means for your sense of confidence. And, and I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. And I, I also, I'm, I'm picking up on a theme, Michelle, and, you know, your family meeting to assess how things were going is not that different from what you shared with us in terms of within your business, when you work with your team to assess how things are going and you do that as a team. It's one thing to do that in the sphere of your work, but when you can apply that across multiple areas in your life, you know, it's a formula that works. It's good advice for all of us. Oh, thank you. Tell me, was it a, was it a difficult transition at all as you, less on the family side, but maybe more on understanding the the business dynamics? I mean, working in a in a market and serving some pretty, you know, big blue chip companies to sort of building your business locally. Did you find that transition challenging or was it harder to adapt? Yeah, it was certainly a very different way of working, one that I embraced and I had a lot of lessons from it, but certainly a big change, not just from a size and a scale perspective, like my team previously, I had over 200 people that I was working with to essentially becoming a startup with a one-man show is, is a big change. But also from a realization of working in a smaller community and the importance and the power of really forming those community relationships was another big lesson for me. It takes time to... I think deprogram yourself a little bit from the larger markets and to be ready to do that. I remember one of the best pieces of advice I received when I moved to the region. So funny, it stands out to me that an individual said to me, okay, Andrew, when you're out in the community, you're going to go to a grocery store, you're going to do your shopping, and you're going to see people that you know from work, from the community. And because you've lived in Toronto for so long, you're first instinct is going to be to turn to the other aisle and put your head down and get out of the grocery store. And they said, and they said to me, Andrew, what you need to do is when you're there, go up to that individual, ask them how they're doing, connect because relationships drive the economy up there. And you have to change your way of thinking from working in the, the city of Toronto. Uh, and it was probably the best early advice I received from anyone. And I thought it was astute for that individual who probably went through it themselves to know you compartmentalize your personal life and your work life in the city. And when you live in a, in a community like this, you, you really can't do that. And, and you're more successful when you actually make those connections. So yeah, I think it's a theme I'm hearing from many who have uh, chosen to move here and build businesses and, and engage that those relationships are really important. Really important and incredibly valuable um, in many different ways. One of the things that you have done, uh, speaking of community relationship, you've engaged in some really creative fundraising initiatives within your business where you've aligned with community groups or community partners to do some fundraisers. And I think they've been some of the most innovative ones I've seen. I'm wondering if you could just talk to us a little bit about, about your approach there, because I think it's a really good example of what, you, what you're talking about here. Thank you. We're super proud of some of the work that we've done in the community. It's at the essence of who we are as a brand. So part of the work that I had previously been involved in really spoke to what is the essence of a brand. And at IWA, the name stands for two things. It stands for rock in Japanese because of our beautiful volcanic rock. But it also stands for inspiring wellness always. Our vision like our why is to inspire wellness, not just for our guests and our team, but also our community. It's really important to us that we looked at aligning the work that we did here at IWA with delivering and giving back to the community in a, under that wellness umbrella. We Naturally, one of the very first outreach programs for us in our very first year of operation was the local hospital. And I also joined the local hospital's communication group to help add any of the skills that I brought to the table from a marketing perspective to help the hospital where I could. So I saw having a fundraiser 
as a really great way of bringing wellness community support together with driving these funds for the hospital. So we, we've we had a couple of great, uh, we call them our men's nights, where we shut down the spa and really expose the guys in the community to what uh, EWA is and what wellness is in the spa context to guys who may not typically, you know, think about a spa as a wellness destination for them. And at the same time, have a great time, have great food where we partnered with um, Northwinds, another one of our amazing uh, village community people here to really deliver a great experience for the guys and raise money for a good cause. So we did that quite a few times. I'm proud to say that as a small business, we've, de- we've delivered over $30,000 to the hospital. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And amazing, an amazing part of that is the contribution of the team. Many of our team members that participate in those events do it on their own clock. Like they are not here. They're, they're here purely because they believe in the vision of inspiring wellness for our community. So they're giving their time at no charge to these events as well. It really helps bond us as an EWA team, as well as giving back to the community. So it's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's such a great, what I think is brilliant about what you've done above and beyond the, the amazing partnerships and contributions to the, the hospital, which we, we really need, is that you're also you're finding out how you can find an opportunity within your business and you know, connecting men who may not be as connected to wellness to an event at a spa where there's great treatments for men, I think is brilliant because it is exposing a new market to the the services and the experience that you provide. So, you know, it takes a lot more effort, I think, to do fundraising and community work that has this level of, of integration. But I think it really matters. And I think that's probably why it's been so successful and why you've raised so much money is because those who come really get something different out of it. And isn't that what we're trying to achieve, right? Absolutely. Kind of migrating to the the topic of wellness, which is really what the EWA brand is all about. And, you know, wellness matters so much to us right now as, as we're, all, we're all navigating the pandemic and the recovery. But wellness has been growing in popularity for, for a number of years and wellness brands. Something that, you know, financial folks are watching, community folks are watching, consumers are paying attention to. What is your take on the wellness trend and what its origins are and, and where it's going? Yeah, it's a great topic and another one of those that I would I, I could spend a lot of time talking about, both from a, my personal experience with my own cancer journey, as well as the industry itself. And I'd say the number one thing for me about wellness is that it is a very unique and individualized to the person. So there is no cookie cutter solution for this is exactly what wellness should be. It really comes down to where is that person and what does wellness mean to them and what is their individual wellness journey? It's not a one size fits all. You know, I'm really thrilled that as as a population, we can now openly talk about and celebrate what wellness is, both physically and mentally, the ability to have that dialogue openly and really be able to come up with more openness to what those solutions are is something that I applaud and really gets me excited about the future of where we're going with wellness. Absolutely. You touch on something that I think is really important is you, you said wellness is not cookie cutter. It's an individual's journey. And, you know, I can't help but think about where we started in this conversation where you talked about the consumer being in control and being so consumer driven. I mean, wellness is really about individuals' needs. So I think there, there's a real parallel there. And I think, you know, my question for you following that is, so how with such a with such a variability of wellness needs how do you how do you create a business around that can support those individual needs i'd say the one thing about wellness to come back to this concept individual needs is adaptability and 
one thing that we've recognized through listening to the voice of the customer is how do we continue to adapt the business to address the wellness needs? And part of creating the culture here at IWA is to create a culture where the team recognizes that it's a good thing to test and try and test and fail and test and learn. We've tried different things over the years to see what works. And if they don't work, we'll try something, you know, we'll we'll adapt and try it. But at the mainstay of who we are is this concept of inspiring wellness. The core components of that are the guest experience that we curate as guests come into the door. We, I say, I want the guests to come in and feel like you're in your best friend's living room. You feel welcomed. It feels like the village. It feels relaxed and friendly and you instantly feel at ease, um, which is really a, a reflection of the culture of the village itself. It's a common theme that I hear from from local business operators in our community who who see the the business they operate as an extension of their own hospitality, their own living rooms, and really trying to create those spaces so people feel like they are at home or with friends and families. It's fascinating how that can cut across a wellness-inspired spa, a restaurant, a place where someone can shop. I think that's, that's really interesting. But I, I like your concept of adaptability and test and learn, because I think that is, that's what helps you meet those individuals needs because you're you're picking up on i'm assuming you're picking up on a lot of the recommendations you get and then you're you're trying those concepts out and those that stick stay and those that don't uh you know you put in the file for to try again later absolutely you know the the test and learn philosophy michelle when i first met you many years ago now you shared that with me in one of our committee meetings, and it is a philosophy that we have deployed here at Blue Mountain Village Association. And we try our best every season to test and learn new concepts. And it has really unlocked the, the potential for us to innovate and to be able to say to the team, it's okay if this doesn't work, because even if it doesn't work, there's going to be some learnings that will help us to apply to the next thing that will work. So yeah, so thank you for that. I've learned from you on that front, and, and I know that it works. Thank you. Let me ask you from the the experiences that you have, what's your favorite treatment? What's your favorite wellness experience personally? Gosh. I know it's like asking you to choose which is your favorite child. So I know it's an unfair (laughs) question. (laughs) I'm going to bring up my cancer journey here. Please. Yes. Because I feel like there's, you know, I, I see too many people like cancer has been my greatest teacher and a lot of people look at me and I'm like, no, it's true. Like I, I truly, it was the biggest eye opener for me. So to take you back to September, 2017, it was two years after Iwa had been opened and launched and we'd come through some incredible learning curve over that two years and really had got to a point after two years in business, you get to a point where you understand the business, you've got the protocols and the playbook and the culture in place to operate successfully. And uh, I was, it was like being hit by a train when I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer that had spread to my lung, liver and bones. So as you can imagine, it's quite a shock. For sure. And what I have learned so much through that experience. And in many ways, what I learned through that experience has actually helped me over the last year and two months deal with deal with COVID as well. So there's some great lessons in the application of wellness to cancer, my cancer diagnosis and journey, and the unsettling times that we're going through with COVID. From a wellness perspective, there's so many lessons in there around the value of nutrition, the value of hope, the the value of really seeking out to understand the situation and doing what you can to release and relieve the stress through things like yoga and meditation 
and this concept that self-care is not selfish. I look back to my pre-cancer person and I would say in many ways I didn't take the time for self-care and now I realize the value of self-care. So that's been a big, there's been a big shift in my view of wellness, really driven by my cancer journey. You know, I've, I've really looked at applying to IWA as well. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. For sure, for sure. And and how are you doing? How was your... Um, I know that you, you overcame your, your, your cancer journey and you've been doing very well and healthy. And I know that you've leveraged a lot of the programs, the experiences, the services that you offer as part of that journey. How are you doing today? First of all, I, I feel fantastic. Cancer will always be part of my life because they say that at stage four, there's no such thing as cured. But I am thrilled to say that after back in 2017, I had 14 rounds of chemotherapy. I embraced a natural way of exploring cancer solutions as well. And the combination or the integration of that traditional medicine with natural medicine really has got me to a point where for the past three plus years, my cancer is, is stable. And they can't say cured, but they will say no evidence of disease. So my last scan was in November. I'll have another one in July. And for the past three years, there's been no evidence of the disease in my body. So amazing. My oncologist says, just whatever you're doing, Michelle, keep doing what you're doing because it's working. So that's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, you know, I do think it's interesting that you created a wellness brand and an experience and dove so deep into that terrain for many years. And then when you needed it the most, it was there for you. So I think somehow you, you know, subconsciously prepared and did all the homework you needed to support yourself. And then on top of that, we have the benefit of this great experience and, and programming that we can learn from you as a result of your experience. And the fact that you so openly will share that with others, it's, it's really a gift. And, and thank you for that. Thank you. And I will openly share it. And I'm happy to support anybody in any which way that would like to talk to me about my cancer journey. I'm very open to supporting and helping in any which way I can. That's wonderful. And I, I do think you, you, knew, you talked about this at the beginning of our conversation, but we're opening up more about our health journey, about our wellness journey, about stress, about coping with things like a pandemic, mental health. And I think that, you know, the more people who talk about what, they're, what they've gone through, the more lessons we learn, the free people are to reach out and to get that help. So, you know, you're part of that movement. Thank you. This last year, and I think it's a great, you know, you mentioned that that experience that you had prepared you for the the pandemic so maybe can you tell us a little bit about what you know what specifically did you take from that experience that helped you focus on the pandemic planning and, and what did you do in response to the pandemic to to sort of stabilize your business really two parts of this i think what you know adaptability was one of the biggest things i learned from my cancer journey which a, a part of it is we are, we're in this and we need to go with the flow right now. And, you know, 
accept it as it's coming to you and, you know, make the right decisions from there. And that was the, that was the very first part for me was adaptability. Certainly from a things within the business, obviously the first thing is look at what can we do to manage the cost line? What are the things that knowing that revenue is all but gone, what are the things we can do simply to look at managing costs? The second thing that really helped me was looking at staying on top of consumer demands. So knowing that we're going to come out of this at some point, much like in my cancer journey, where it was really important for me to learn as much as I could about my cancer and all aspects of it, it is learning about, you know, where, where and how are we going to come out of this and what are consumer demands going to look like? And therefore, how do we adapt to it? The third thing I'd say is what I learned a lot through my cancer journey was empathy and gratitude. I realized that this is a shared challenge that we all have going through COVID and using the, you know, really being grateful for what we have and being incredibly empathetic to what other people are going through and understanding that everybody reacts differently through this sheer challenge has certainly helped us as we came out of COVID for the first time, then back into lockdown. And then, you know, this continued cycle, way more empathy for, for what everybody's going through. I would agree that is a learning that, that I've taken as well. And f- for us, you know, in the village where we got a big team that is welcoming guests every day, particularly in the, in the peak seasons and we spent a lot of time enforcing safety protocols, you know, providing people with advice and guidance on PPE, masks, you know, physical distance, lineup management, etc. One of the things that was really important for us as a team was to understand and have that level of empathy because, you know, on the one hand, it's really easy to just say to some people, you know, here are the protocols, you have to follow them. But what you miss underneath all of that is what everyone is going through right now and how much stress people are under and the anxiety and fear in relation to being out in the public. And, and so, you know, people are, are, are fairly reactive. So what I, what I have found is that, you know, keeping that empathy hat on allows you to be cool when you are, um, you know, engaging with others who, who might be struggling. And I think that's something we have to do. We'll have to do that in the, you know, the seasons to come for sure. Yes, we will. It's hard to train a team to be more empathetic. Do you have any advice for folks on on how we can best arm our teams to bring more empathy to our day-to-day work? Yeah, a lot of it for us starts with the culture here at EWA. So we, you know, when we first opened, we put, I put a lot of work into creating sort of our playbook, which is this is what we do. Then we created all the protocols, which is how we do it. And then we really looked at how do we take the what you do and how you do and create behavioral expectations around it. A lot of it has to do with hiring the right team members, but using our cultural guideline as a way to make sure that we do know how what the behavioral expectations are. So our culture here at EWA is called Karma. What does it stand for? It stands for, so we break it down to be kindness, attitude, respect, manners, and accountability. So those are all the behavioral things that ultimately, if you look at those, a lot of them feed towards empathy. Certainly kicking it off with the K, which is kindness, really does mean empathy. It's very important that I, as the leader, show up every day, fulfilling that good karma, like taking the right attitude on all of those things. And ultimately, you know, starting with the K with kindness, that really speaks to the empathy point. When you take that as the leader, it models that for others and it shows people that you are, you're walking the talk, so to speak. So it, it makes, it gives people permission to, to do the same and to focus on kindness. And to remember that, you know, I might be frustrated right now, but I have to be kind. And it takes work. Yeah, it takes a great, uh, it makes, you can feel when you walk into an environment, if you've got a great team experience, 
you can just feel it. So for me, I've always said like a great guest experience starts with a great team experience. 100% all the time. I look at uh, the concept of empathy, much like I look at the concept of mindfulness and that they're, they're regular practices. You're not just mindful because you decide to be, you're, you, you achieve mindfulness because you work at it and you carve out the time and you, you are self-aware. And I think practicing empathy is the same. It, it's a question of constantly working at it and being self-reflective. So any way as leaders that we can sort of have those conversations with our teams to achieve that, I think is great. What I love about what you've done is you've really embedded it into the brand, not only in terms of the, you know, the customer experience, but you know, it's, it's the operating system that your team relies on. And I think that's something that a business of any size can do. You know, you, a lot of people think that it is the large corporations that create these, these culture, uh, you know, these roadmaps for culture. And really, any business can do it. It's just a matter of identifying those, those priorities that you want to have. So, you know, bravo to you. And what's important to you as an individual and using the guest experience as a way to help frame that as well. Because it really, I truly believe that a great guest experience starts with a great team experience. And I feel so blessed at EWA from, we've got an amazing team of people here and I let them know how grateful I am all the time to have them as part of this team. That's wonderful. Now, let, one of the things that we have worked on economically is in fact, the talent shortage and the challenges on, on building a workforce to, to help our growing economy. What has your experience been on that front? Yeah, it's certainly a challenge. I'd say, you know, the old equation of supply and demand. We are, you know, it's hard. There's tight supply up here with the people who have the right qualifications for very particular roles like registered massage therapy or estheticians. It's very hard to find the people with the right credentials within the area sometimes. So, you know, we struggle with that. For sure. For sure. And do you find that it has impacted your ability to, to operate at the level you, you want to, or are you, uh, are you finding a way? No, certainly at times. I, I, you know, part of the, the brilliant Blue Mountain Village scene is that we have this seasonality thing. So, you know, managing to the peaks and valleys around, you know, what we call mud season to high season can be challenging for a business owner and man- managing the talent associated with that certainly has its has unique challenges because of the seasonality. That's right. So, but because we deal with that on our regular year, we do have some we do have some learned experience on on how to better manage that, right, and optimize it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure, it's true. I mean, I think that sometimes you know we can be. It's hard to adjust to some of these you know broader labor market issues, but I think looking within and saying, no, wait a minute, we we deal with this every year. And there's lessons that we've learned there that we can apply to this new situation. It's, it's always a good way of looking at it is looking within and uh, trying to apply it to the new situation because oftentimes relates to a past experience. Yeah. I want to ask you a few questions about the retail component of your business. I mean, retail is a, is a tough sector and there are a lot of competing factors. So first of all, you just have competition for retail. You have large stores, you have smaller stores. You know, wellness is being driven a lot by online merchants as well, certainly at the product level. So I'm just wondering if you could share some insights for our listeners, particularly those who might be looking at getting into the retail business. You know, what have you learned about retailing in this market and what are the, the, the key elements to be successful? Yeah, we've, you know, retail for us has certainly been one of those things. Everybody talks about pivot strategies. So one of the things we looked at was how do we really look at the boutique as a way of broadening our opportunity, knowing that the spa business that we had due to the new protocols really shockingly was reduced by 60%. Wow. I know. So like instantly take 60% of your capacity and lose it based on things like our new one-way flow through the spa, no couples experiences, half of the capacity on the pedicure bench and 
less than half in our yoga studio due to social distancing. All those things had a pretty significant impact on how we could operate the business successfully financially. So we looked at the retail space and said, what can we do to try and enhance some of our revenue dollars through the space that we have with with retail? Our retail is all aligned with wellness. We are a wellness brand and we looked at brands that help us support authentically an alignment with wellness. So for us, it was finding unique more lifestyle brands around wellness. Lululemon is an obvious one there, but we also really wanted to work with not just Canadian suppliers, but local suppliers such as small businesses like Sahara Tea and another one called Remedium that I'd love to tell you about. And then ensuring that the products that we are using in the spa experience, such as for facials and pedicures, are products that you could buy in the retail environment, but they're also products that we use, which is called Farmhouse Fresh. Oh, it's so good. So good and so healthy for you. Like you can eat this product (laughs) because (laughs) you're- Uh Oh, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Especially that chocolate face stuff. It's so delicious, our chocolate mask. But it's it was really looking at finding amazing products that- really fit our lifestyle brand of wellness. And how we compete in many ways is through that curated combination of these wellness gifts, so these these wellness products and a very personalized experience to go with it. Yeah. And that's how you can compete when you've got that that type of very curated product line. And I and I love that concept of you know, having a treatment, you know, smelling the the great scents, feeling it when you're going through that treatment and then realizing, oh, I can I can take some home and being introduced to those products, I think is is critical. I think that's great. I think it's a great concept. And how has it been going? We're thrilled with the results from from a Lululemon perspective. I think, you know, there is no Lululemon is a great brand that fits inside of the village experience as far as it's an active brand, but it's also, that's a brand itself that's transitioned to be more encompassing of a lifestyle where you can wear your Lululemons out for dinner, right? You can can go for a hike in them. You can go biking, hiking. You can also wear them for dinner. Like it's, and certainly during COVID, I haven't worn much else. <laughs> me, yeah, me too. But talk about transformative brands where not only is the product great, it stands for something you believe in is, is technically well created, but also when it can transform cultural norms like outerwear as evening wear. I mean, you know, you're onto something, you know, you're making a mark. Right. And then something simple, we have this, I found this lady in Aurelia that makes this magnesium balm. Her business is called Remedium. And that's, you know, magnesium balm is one of those back to wellness and back to my cancer journey. Like part of my treatment causes pretty significant muscle cramping, but I love to, I love to hike. We're blessed with all the trails that we have here, but I find at nighttime, my legs get really achy. Magnesium is one of those things that for you to take a magnesium pill can be really hard on your tummy, but to absorb it topically through this magnesium balm can really help with muscle cramping, but without upsetting your stomach. So that's a, there's a perfect example of a small product that can really help people who have those experiences with muscle cramping in a very natural way. Yeah. And it's tested. You found it. It's helped you. So you can stand behind it. That's amazing. Yeah. What, what fun. What fun to bring all these spheres of your life together and to, to have that be your focus for work every day. It, it must feel very rewarding. Very rewarding. And, and for me, I feel so grateful. Well, you know, we're, we're all grateful for the work you do, Michelle. I have to tell you, when I, I was having a very, very challenging issue with my back this past summer, I think sitting on Zoom calls on at a home office is not good for our, our physical bodies. And I was able to, uh, when things were open, I was able to come to the spa and have a massage. 
And I was so impressed with how you adapted all of your protocols. It was changed and completely different, but felt so seamless. And I felt very safe and taken care of. And that is not easy to do, but your team really nailed it. So, you know, I think we're so lucky to have access to the the experiences that you provide because it's more than just a massage or a pedicure. You're bringing your heart and soul into it and it shows in the product. I, I couldn't be more more proud of, of you and the team and so grateful that you're in our community. Thank you. And I, I think that that's a big part of the village is this combination of locally owned and operated businesses. And we bring that, you mentioned that before, that feeling of walking into, you know, that sense of being hosted. And that's the beauty of being in this, this beautiful Blue Mountain Village environment where it is locally owned and operated. And people, you know, these entrepreneurs are putting their heart and soul as a community into creating this very unique place. That's part of the beauty of Blue Mountain Village. That's right. Yeah, I think it's something that our local community should be very proud of because actually Blue Mountain Village is, is us. It's, our, it's the South Georgian Bay. It is the people who live here work here. There's a question I have for you. The community is, is dynamic and growing. And South Georgian Bay is experiencing a lot of shifts, a lot of pressure points, pressure points from development, pressure points on attainable housing, you know, transportation, you know, crowding, all sorts of sorts of challenges. And we find ourselves in a situation where I think there's some divisions in the community that that need to be overcome, moving away from an us and them approach and more to a how do we all work together toward the future. So I'm wondering, you know, with your wellness hat on, and since you are one of our you know wellness gurus, how do you think we can use the concept of wellness to advance some of our community and economic challenges? Yeah, it's a another great topic to dive into. You know, I the first thing that comes to mind is embrace change and be open to different and unique ways of approaching things. That is, you know, something that I'm personally passionate about is always having that willingness to be open. We are blessed to live in a wonderful place. We all know that the access to everything that Mother Nature offers us in this incredible place. I would love to see the access to more attainable housing. I'd also love to see further education expanded within this area because I think, you know, expansion of a college or a university itself would help fuel that talent gap that we're talking about, as well as having significant impact on the local economy And therefore, access to more things like affordable housing, becoming more, you know, as an employer, having access to more people who are looking to, uh, you know, start their careers in this area, because that's what's going to give us the opportunity to grow and develop as things evolve over time and, and as we expand. So I'd say that you know, embracing it and being open to it and looking at strategies around these things is really important. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's also, you know, I think as Canadians, we tend to be a little self-deprecating and 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 we don't celebrate ourselves enough. And I think if you're a youngster and you have a passion to work in technology, well, you know that Kitchener-Waterloo is a tech hub. And you know that the universities and the colleges there are really oriented to that sector. And it's a community that is aligned from a brand perspective with innovation. And I feel that here in the South Georgian Bay, we have that same thing. It's just in a different sphere. We have a a capacity and an innovation around service, tourism, and recreation that is actually iconic from the consumer's point of view. And And we have all of that capacity here. And I think we need a little more pride in order to help our local learning institutions grow and invest. My dream is that when a a youngster graduating high school wants to become a chef, they don't have to think about just going to George Brown in Toronto. They they could see the South Georgian Bay College and and new learning institutions as the the hub of innovation and tourism, culinary experiences. And so I'm fully aligned with you there. I would add wellness to that. I'd say like this is, we are unique in Ontario for everything that we have to offer. 
And obviously, if you look at the umbrella of wellness, that includes things like food and nutrition and and recreation, like everything, like we are unique in this area and everything that we can offer wellness-wise. I'd say it'd be brilliant to add on to that. Education. You know, we come full circle, Michelle. When we first started chatting today, you talked about data, understanding the consumer. You talked about your family and how you relied on your real experience to make some decisions. We're talking now about building education and capacity for our community to truly grow. And, and even in, your, in sharing your own journey on your cancer diagnosis and your path to healing, you shared with us a little bit about how talking and educating yourself and educating others can make a benefit. And I just want to thank you so much for all the insights you've shared today and all the work you do in our community, in the village, in the whole region. It's been a real pleasure to have you with me today and to share a little more about your business but I think more importantly about your philosophy as a leader. And I think it is a, an approach we all can learn from and, and I personally look up to. So thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you for your leadership. And you know, thank you for being part of this community that we have here. It's an incredible place to be. Well, that was a great conversation. And I'm so glad that Michelle was able to share so much of her story with us. While while we covered so much, there's a few things that really stand out for me in terms of Michelle's insights and advice. Um, The one concept of empathy and gratitude is something that I will take and think more about as I go forward. I love her concept of test and learn. I think it's great advice that anyone can apply, whether it's in your life, whether your business and your career. And finally, the concept of karma. What a great anchor to build a corporate culture and to support your team. Thank you for listening today and stay safe. Thanks for listening to Blue Mountain Village Voices, a production of the Blue Mountain Village Association. For more, go to bluemountainvillage.ca. A production of the Sound Off Media Company. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.